Hello, folks, and welcome to Got Your Back NHL Post Trade Deadline Edition. I'm Ryan Rashaw, getting set to be joined by Darren Dreger and Pierre Lebrun. We've got two of the insiders today on the podcast, going to debrief what was a crazy trade deadline day. Not exactly. Crazy trade deadline week. Uh, we're going to run down all the activity among the seven Canadian teams and talk big winners and maybe who might have potentially missed out on this year's deadline with the fellas. Of course, got your back. NHL edition brought to you by Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals. They provide equipment and supplies to all facets of the Canadian construction industry. But what sets them apart is their get-or-done attitude. It's a core value of their company. Every one of their staff members lives by the Getter Done formula to ensure they never let their customer down. They will bend over backwards to get their clientele what they need, when they need it. No excuses. Cross Country Canada takes great pride in that formula, and we are very proud to have them as title sponsors here on Got Your Back. As we say, fine morning to the gents. Dregs, you want to get any chirps out of the out of the way right away here? Anything? Oh, no, you're good. Yeah, all good. No worries. He's got to go shovel, so let's go. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, I, I heard you guys got hit by an absolute doozy. Uh, how's everybody doing? And Pierre, the way you were describing it to me, Pierre, like this was a rare storm that you guys got hit with last night. Yeah, it was scary, man. Uh, thunder and lightning and snow. I've never been part of that. I know we've had a few little storms around North America this year, but uh, there was a crazy one in Buffalo, of course, that... Uh, had some tragedy involved earlier this year, but uh, it was crazy in Southern Ontario yeah, last night. Ooh, weird, weird way to end a crazy uh, long day. Yeah. How much shoveling you have, Dregs? Like you've, you've probably, probably Ooh. a fair up. amount of digging out, I would imagine, this morning? Yeah, I mean, honestly, we probably got close to just a foot and a half. I mean, up here in Brooklyn, Ontario. Uh, so it's, uh, it's going to be a bit of an ordeal. And what always pisses me off is... You know, the, the snow plow, I mean, obviously, you know, by the time they get to neighborhoods like mine, they've got to clear the main thoroughfares and things like that. But you, you just comfortably get everybody shoveled out and snow plowed out and everybody in the neighborhood's good. And then here comes Mr. Snowplow bombing down the street and you've got another four foot yeah. uh, ridge to deal with. But eh, you know what? Now the trade deadline's over. I can leave my phone uh, on the countertop. Yeah. And go out stress-free. And if it takes me three hours, it takes me three hours. Yeah. So I'm there not worried go. about it. So I do have to say, uh, watching from a distance yesterday, and on a day like that where the Oilers make exactly zero moves, that's the market I cover. So I'm, I'm you know, in Edmonton. Uh, I got my feet up watching the show. And I do have to say, you guys, for, for a trade deadline where there wasn't nearly as much action on actual trade deadline day, you guys actually did a pretty good job of entertaining people. That was a long time to be on TV with not much happening. It kills me to say this because it's nothing but chirps at me here, but you guys did a good job. There's some funny stuff on that show. Like the, the, let's, be clear. let's be clear. Dregs and I have nothing to do with the entertainment. No, nothing. <laughs> You're in the corner grinding. No, uh, I know. But the whole yeah. field, I don't know. Is it just me? Uh, was it? I just found it really entertaining between the video and Bruce Boudreaux yeah. and his presence there yesterday. I don't know, boys. I thought it was pretty good, Dregs. Yeah, no, it was it was entertainment. Um, and Pierre is right. I mean, it has nothing to do with with us as the trade breakers. This is all the brainchild of of James Duthie and 
uh, Mike Lane and, and all those who contribute on the production side of things and the editorial, of course. I wouldn't call it a regret. Uh, Pierre Lebrun participated. Um, so we were both in the James Duthie yeah, the song video. with Brett Kissel was, was kind enough to put a professional spin on it after the fact. Uh, but that was full quota for me of shenanigans and nonsense. So yeah. uh, they invited me to be part of the, uh, the Bruce Boudreaux rant, the remake of the famous rant back in the day of the Washington Capitals. I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, I said, the only way I'll do it is if Bobby Mack comes out of semi-retirement and he participates. And they asked Bob, and he's like, I can't even say what he said, but yeah. anyway, it was a hard no. So uh, in, in hindsight, yeah, you should have done that. I should have. I mean, it, I, it was masterfully done. Yeah, it was I mean, that is weak, Dregs. Why did you back yeah. away from that? You're you're worried he was going to say something mean to you? Like, why no. not? Who yes, has a chance to get be, yelled at by Bruce no. Boudreaux? Well, I, I didn't want to be part of the circus act. I mean, it was. Uh, <laughs> but in saying that, it was so well executed. Yeah, uh, and so Bruce, like he, he needs to stop coaching, whether he has a choice or not, um, <laughs> and and focus maybe more on acting because that was first rate, man. That was well, uh, worthy of award. And having been there when we were taping it, obviously, I can tell you that took no time to put together. It was really well done by the crew, obviously. But yeah. Udro nailed. I think he only took three takes to do the whole on, thing, on the main part of it. Um, I had to do a couple takes at the end when I was supposed to say let's go because I'm, I'm such a terrible actor. But Boudreau, the main star, <laughs> was so flawless that I was like, okay, we have it. Uh, but the highlight of that skit, by far, as I tweeted yeah. last night, is the acting chops of Gino Retta. He was good. <laughs> Sitting on the floor. <laughs> he was good, I do have to say. And I've seen him try and do some other acting stuff in little things that we've done here and there. And he's like, ah, he's more kind of in your category, Dregs. Pretty crappy at it. Uh, yeah. But he was really he was really good on that one. Uh, star of the day, though, O-Dog's performance in that video was, I mean, that was ridiculous. He was well, just, across the board, though, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Not just the video, like the, the, the mock draft lottery yep. and all the stuff. People don't realize, I mean, obviously anybody who listens to Overdrive gets a real good dose of the personality of Jeff O'Neill and Brian Hayes and Jamie Noodles McLennan. Um, but O is just so talented in so many different ways. It's almost like the, the analysis from the former hockey player is secondary because of yeah. how creative he is. Yeah. Okay, enough patting ourselves on the back. Uh, let's yeah. talk uh, big winners and maybe who was a little more docile on trade deadline day. Let's break it down, courtesy our new friends at Kuma Outdoor Gear. Thrilled to have them on board as new sponsors. How about that logo? Nice. That logo is absolutely fire. They've got a wide range of gear to fit all your outdoor needs, from super high-quality camping chairs, so comfortable and luxurious. Did you know they come heated? I found that out. Definitely going to be grabbing one of those. Tents, sleeping bags, travel games, pet products, drinkware. There's no reason to be any less comfortable outside than you are in your living room, and Kuma will help make sure of that. It's available across North America. Go to kumaoutdoorgear.com to find a luxury retailer near you. Kuma Outdoor Gear, experience luxury outdoors. And as a couple of fellas with cottages and summer homes, I would think maybe some Kuma Outdoor Gear might be in order for uh, around your campfires and on the deck and such, boys, Dregs. 
Oh, 100%. That's why I, as soon as you mentioned the logo, I'm like, that is a very cool logo. Yeah. And then you start talking about the merchandise and everything that's available there. Yeah. I mean, I probably got about 200 feet of beach, Yep. my lake property in Manitoba. So I've had a couple of conversations, not just about the gear. I'm also now shopping for like a tractor. I need a tractor. Oh. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if they do tractors. Does Kuma, does Kuma sell tractors? <laughs> I don't think Can they, they get do. Any a tractor? Uh, I don't think they do. I should, but we could probably. I mean, I am in Western Canada. We, I could probably <laughs> land a tractor sponsor if you want. I can see if John Deere, awesome. if you're out there. No, no, Kubota, Coyote, Kubota, yeah, yeah, whatever you need. Yeah. All right, all right. Well, I'll save this segment and we'll get at it. Okay, boys, uh, let's talk about uh, big winners. And I think the Boston Bruins <laughs> of all the teams that made a splash. I don't know if they're the most surprising winner because here they are, just a dominant team this year, Pierre, yet their general manager identifies a couple of needs, but he sees his opportunity, right, with players that get hurt and some space that opened up. Now, you can do too much sometimes, and you could argue that Boston, did they need to do as much as they did, but he struck, and some significant ads, Orloff, Hathaway, Bertuzzi, real activity there from Don Sweeney, Pierre. Well, and how about how Bobby Orloff has played uh, since he arrived in Boston? <laughs> Am I the um, only one that doesn't love that? I, that feels uh, feels blasphemous uh, or something. I don't know. Um, you know, it, it, the aggressiveness in, in both those moves are interesting because, uh, as most people know by now, the Bruins were in pretty deep with Columbus on uh, Vladislav Gavrikov, and then... You know, we'll never know the full story, but Columbus thought they were 90% there towards the deal. And and what happened is Washington put out a note, uh, Brian McClellan, to all the other GMs on Sunday, February 19th, and said, I'm listening on Dmitry Orloff. <laughs> Don Sweeney did a, uh, did, a, did a complete 90 degree turn and, uh, you know, went after Orloff the rest of the week, got him on the, I think the Wednesday or the Thursday. Um, and then the Bertuzzi trade is, is that's a trade that probably never happens except for Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno getting injured. And right. clearly Don Sweeney saying, I'm not letting anything escape here. I want to give this group every chance they have to win the cup this year. So he spends the 2024 first to get Bertuzzi. He would have liked to have kept this 24 first, but you know, those are not short-term injuries. So he goes no. out and fixes that within 24 hours. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, <laughs> Clearly, the Boston Bruins are all in, and uh, a great team just got that much better. Now they're going to have to prove it in a ridiculous Eastern Conference. But, you know, from a player perspective, and I know we're going to get there eventually, I'm not going to mention any of the other teams, but I I would think that as an NHL player, if you're on a playoff-worthy team right now, you know, you're probably looking um, somewhat in jealousy at what Don Sweeney did and what some of these other general managers did, right? Because... All you want is, uh, number one, a chance to lock down a playoff spot and then for your general manager to insulate you as best he can. And there were some big, big deals and some interesting deals and teams that got better, but Boston is ready to top a class for sure. So I was having a chat with somebody close to the league yesterday, and one of the things that was brought up, and I've been thinking about it since it was mentioned, When was the last time that a team made a big splash at the deadline? Like, we're talking big splash. One or two of the top names and real big additions and such. And actually ended up taking those additions and hoisting a Stanley Cup with them. Is this the year where that mold is going to be broken? Because it feels like it doesn't happen very often. 
yeah. where major players at deadline, it actually like a big rental or a huge ad ends up in a Stanley Cup drags. It feels like it doesn't happen yeah. very often, but the it number doesn't. of teams that made a splash this year feels like yeah. that mold's going to be broken this year. No, that's fair. And and look, I mean, if we go back to Boston here again, I guess you could challenge, oh, you know, uh, could Dmitry Orlov be a key element to that team winning a Stanley Cup or Bertuzzi or even, Gar- you know, Garnet Hathaway was not a throw-in in this deal. Mm-hmm. It's a very effective bottom six forward. So, I, you know, I, I could see that that group, the combination, the meshing of the Boston Bruins. So it's it's a bit of a challenge to suggest that the deadline acquisitions are going to be the difference makers. But then you look at the New York Rangers um, and you look at Tarasenko and you look at Patrick Kane. And I think all of us are trying to decide how they're going to split the puck in New York, especially on the power play with all of the offensive weapons that they have. I mean, Jared Gallant is going to be a mad scientist with a chemistry experiment here until the end of uh, the regular season. But I'm always reminded, and you guys are as well, to your point, Ryan, when you look at the teams that have won the Stanley Cup, it's always about the core. And if your core guys don't step up and perform like the Tampa Bay Lightning have in, what, the last three, four years, then chances are you're not hoisting that Stanley Cup. So it's going to be interesting. Boston may challenge that theory. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to overrate what the deadline can do to, to decide a cup champion. But I, I do think, you know, what Tampa proved uh, – a number of years in a row, you know, go back to adding uh, Coleman and Goudreau yeah. before their first cup and then uh, adding David Savard and adding Nick Paul and uh, Brandon Hagel last year. It's not like the Lightning is, is sitting on their hands either at the deadline every year. And this year, Tanner Janot and Tampa Bay Lightning don't even have to rent hotel space at the NHL draft for the next five years. But, um, <laughs> you know, in Colorado last year, again, not splashy to your point, Ryan, but Lekkonen, who scores two series clinching goals, including in the cup final. Yeah. And, uh, and Josh Manson and Andrew Cogliano. So I would argue still that the last few cup champions uh, have been assertive at the trade deadline. Um, but to your point, I mean, we're talking Kane and Tarasenko in New York. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tarasenko can't even play in the top line now. <laughs> he's it's nuts. He's a major trade deadline ad. So, you know, it'll be interesting uh, for sure how, you know, to Drake's point, how uh, Gerard Gallant decides <laughs> to dole that out. That's the team, when I talk to other front offices, that's the team where they're like, that's either going to be spectacular yeah, or they're just not going to be able to mesh. And I don't yeah. know if anyone can answer that now. Of all of the big additions, I mean, we could argue Timo Meyer, the best player to change hands in the moment at this year's deadline yeah. and goes from the San Jose Sharks to the New Jersey Devils. Um, this is a significant add to their, you know, not just this season. This wasn't a rental drags. This is a major add for this organization that wants to take what they've accomplished this year and yeah. firmly grab a toehold on taking an even bigger step in the playoffs. Yeah, look, I mean, when we try and analyze and then rate winners, losers of trades, doesn't it always come down to, okay, who got the best player? And in this case, there's no question that the New Jersey Devils got the best forward available, you know, this trade season, and that is Timo Meyer. And honorable mention should go to Tom Fitzgerald for grabbing a real popular and competitive bottom six guy in Curtis Lazar from the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, he is going to fit seamlessly into that room and, uh, you know, into the into the forward core for, for Lindy Ruff and the New Jersey Devils. And on top of that, as Fitzy acknowledged, 
in his uh, post-deadline media availability, he's already working on contract extensions. You know, he, he openly talked about, you know, the initial conversations with Gesperat and, and his agent, and they're waiting for a response there. And you know you don't make a trade the magnitude that he made with Mike Greer and the San Jose Sharks unless you're fully committed to extending Timo Meyer. So this isn't just about deadline ads for Tom Fitzgerald and the New Jersey Devils. This is about turning this team into a Stanley Cup contender for, I would say, a few years, if not a handful of years to come. Yeah, with all due respect to Patrick Kane and, and Ryan O'Reilly and a few others, it's not even close. Timo Meyer is the most impactful addition in this deadline period because he's 26, because he's going to be around, as Greg said, potentially be around if he signs an extension. Um, and and he's a rare commodity in today's NHL, as you guys know. He's a fire forward. No, he's he's big dude. He can basically do it all, and man, he just fits into the uh, the hole that the Tom Fitzgerald had in his lineup. Um, and 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 as impactful as he may be for New Jersey, that's the gut punch to the Carolina Hurricanes, who have the second best record in the NHL. You know, people were down on the Hurricanes yesterday. They didn't do anything on deadline day. That's not the part that I think frustrates Carolina. They didn't see a whole lot on the market uh, right yesterday. The gut punches, they went in hard on Team Meyer, offered six different pieces in a package yeah. last weekend wow. and got a call late last Saturday night exactly seven days ago saying they were out. That was the gut punch for Carolina. And so that they were going to be the my next topic here just in terms of teams that are right in the mix who, frankly, didn't keep up in that arms race that we saw. And whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing that they you know didn't didn't overdo it, what was the fallback position, Pierre? Because teams don't go in with one guy in mind and nothing else possible after that. So what happened to the fallback positions? Yeah, so keep in mind, too, that there are parameters that Carolina works with that are a little different than other contenders. They don't want to give up a first-round pick for, uh, for a high-price rental. They, they, they just haven't done that under Tom Dundon. They were ready, obviously, to give up a lot for Timo Meyer because he wasn't a rental, but then it came into the rentals. They want to get in on medium-price rentals, and... Yeah, they talked to Chicago about Max Domi. They talked to Detroit about Tyler Bertuzzi on uh, Thursday mm-hmm. night. Uh, sorry, on Wednesday night. Um, so they were in on all those different pieces, but at a certain price because they were rentals and uh, ended up getting boxed out. And could have done a few other things yesterday on deadline day. And just, they liked their team. And, and I understand that they didn't replace Max Pacioretty. They also only got five games out of Max Pacioretty, which is yeah. not we we send Patrick the best in his recovery, but the Hurricanes are second in the league with the lineup that they have right now. <laughs> so we'll yeah. see. I mean, <laughs> does it end up biting them? Maybe, but I also think, you know, they went out last night and obviously beat up a bad Arizona team, but, you know, maybe we're overdoing the the idea that Carolina was left out here in the East. Yeah. You know, I, I, I struggle with being critical of Don Waddell and the approach here too, because when you look at the construction and makeup of the Carolina Hurricanes, it, it's not like you can just plug a player in. You know, right. James Van Riemsdyk obviously didn't get traded by the Philadelphia Flyers. And Ray Ferraro and I talked about this on, on the podcast last night. You know, his view is the Carolina Hurricanes – needed somebody who can just shoot the puck in the net. Well, Van Riemsdyk is capable of doing just that. You know, he still has nifty hands for a big man, even though, you know, he was never a great skier, but he doesn't skate as, as good as he once did, let's put it that way. And for me, that's that's the obvious trigger point, and that's the reason why 
you know, Carolina didn't engage on a player like yeah. JVR, who was top of our trade bait list. I mean, you got to play the way that Rod Brindamore has designed this team to play, and you have to be able to skate. So why throw an asset at a piece and money at a piece that just isn't going to, to, to work with the dynamic that you have? So yeah. I still think the Canes are a terrific team, and there's no reason to question their ability to contend. And, and, and they could have got in on some – other hockey deals, I know that would have been pretty interesting, but teams wanted to talk about Martin Nietzsche or Seth Jarvis. Right. And that no. was just Don Waddell was not no. on that. Okay. Uh, let's get to running down the Canadian teams. So we'll call this segment Cross Country in honor of our sponsors. Um, but we're going <laughs> to, but this segment will be brought to you by Liberty Smart Security, a company that specializes oh, nice in having your back. High-quality yeah. advanced security <laughs> systems for your home or your business. Liberty Smart Security uses leading-edge technology to protect the things that you value most in life. Your home is your castle, so why not protect it with a Liberty Smart Security system? I've been protecting my home with one for the last seven years, and it's fantastic technology, and I absolutely love it. Uh, you know what you you botched that so yeah, I did. Uh, I'm going to give I'm going to give a full bad. shout out shout out to Liberty Smart Security. <laughs> and if if they were available in Brooklyn, Ontario, Canada, and maybe they are, they are. to do some investing. Yeah, buddy, they're cross country because yeah, look, I, we're really my, watching it. Yeah, my my security <laughs> uh, coverage here isn't great. So thank you, Liberty Smart Security. Okay, you could do the ad read next time, Dregs. They they would actually like that. They would probably pay more for you to do the ad reads here on the. <laughs> podcast so uh your rate stays the same by the way okay guys let's talk about the seven canadian teams uh let's start out in vancouver is there a story there what was the story of the canucks or the untold story or what's what do you got there p come on dregs dregs pierre what's going on boys hey you know it's 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 interesting that i was trending at one point on twitter yesterday for all of the uh reporting that went on around the vancouver and and you were sitting beside me on set you had your pants on so i don't know why you were trending (laughs) and look i mean i I wasn't alone in the reporting of what was going on with vancouver there's some other people that were deeply involved uh and had the story as deeply as i did too um, very little interest in Brock Besser, and I don't think anybody should be surprised with the cap hit and the term remaining. That'll be a summer deal. But what created the buzz was, uh, you know, the, the discussions that Vancouver was having with the Pittsburgh Penguins on JT Miller. Now, I, I played her into Patrick Alvin's hands in his post-media availability because if, if you want to play the game of semantics, did Pittsburgh actually firmly offer something concrete on JT Miller. I mean, I didn't participate in that conversation between Hextall and Patrick Alvine, but they certainly had deep conversation about the parameters of what something might look like. Now, I mean, did Penguins ownership get involved? Did that muddy it up? Um, Was Vancouver talking to other clubs? Pierre is going to chime in on that. Uh, I mean, there were all sorts of, of, of permutations of how this could have worked. But part of the reason why the Vancouver Canucks pushed away is because they moved Bo Horvat a few weeks back. And to move JT Miller, what do they do at center ice? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not throwing in the towel entirely. This is a team in transition that is, is trying to be much better as early as next season. So JT Miller would have been a real nice cap relief or Brock Besser for the Vancouver Canucks. But both those men will be revisited in the offseason. 
Yeah, and this is why I think it's it's going to be difficult for the Canucks to totally put a lid on on this story because it, it just involved too many parties. And 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 I, I get it; there probably wasn't a firm offer, but there are a lot of conceptual things thrown around between Pittsburgh and Vancouver, from what we can tell, including the fact that we know that the Canucks reached out to a couple of teams and said, "Would you be interested in taking player X that we might get from Pittsburgh?" Uh, to make all this cap stuff work in, mm-hmm. in a three-way trade. And um, obviously none of that happened, but those conversations did. And again, uh, they probably didn't get deep enough for this to become a bigger headline, but let's not pretend that these conversations no. didn't happen. Well, and look, just to put a bow on this, <clears throat> because we got to move on to the other Canadian teams, but I think what upset Patrick Golfing, I don't think I know, was that it got out. Right, that it was yeah. just such an open form of discussion for all the reporting yeah. and, and the media, and you know what? Frankly, you know, a decent part of, of our analysis and conversation on live television. I can I can appreciate that. I mean, isn't that the juice though? Around this time of year, the deals that that don't happen. happen, you know, yeah. that that's part of it. Well, I was going to ask. That's sometimes that's the real the real juicy stuff. Is there? <laughs> Anything else that you guys can talk about that almost happened that didn't? Like any other? Uh, well, huh. well, Drake, well, JBR to Detroit. Drake broke the story <laughs> earlier the, earlier this week, but it, it, it bears revisiting, especially since it's in your market, Ryan. But let's not pretend that it wasn't close that Jacob Trickard ended up in Edmonton. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I wrote about this in The Athletic, too, but it's fascinating to me the way Ken Holland had parallel tracks and parallel conversations happening for uh, at the same time with Nashville and Arizona and deep with both on Ekholm and Chikrin at the same time and was trying to figure out which one he was going to bring across the finish line. I mean, he phoned David Poyle uh, last Thursday, February 23rd and said, what does it take to get in on Ekholm? And David Poyle said, Schaefer for sure, first round pick, and then we'll, figure out the rest so he knew last week that that was the starting point that was tough to hear those are big pieces but in the meantime he went two straight weeks on again off again with bill armstrong on jacob Turkin and leading up to the sort yeah. of monday tuesday almost getting a deal done and everything blowing up and and uh, as dregs reported so that's fascinating to me is that it really came down i think almost to a flip of a coin between Chikrin and echo mm-hmm. and the oilers Dregs, do you feel like, uh, and we'll we'll transition here to the Oilers, but just quickly on Arizona, from you know eighteen months ago, asking price, the things we hear, uh, to where this thing actually landed, it feels like a mishandle by Armstrong here to me. It feels like an overplayed hand. I don't know if that's being too hard on him or not, but when you look at what the return actually ended up being, it feels like a a guy that's reasonably new in the position overplayed his hand a bit. I, I think that's accurate to say he overplayed his hand. Uh, I mean, Miss Handel, at the end of the day, he got a decent package from the Ottawa Senators. And, yeah. you know, the Ottawa Senators are playing really good hockey, and Jake Chikorin is going to be a part of whether or not they actually claw fully back into playoff contention. So the jury is, is still out on that draft pick. But it was draft location that ultimately enticed Armstrong to close with the, with the Ottawa Senators. But, yeah, I mean, overplayed – you know, I mean, to ask what he asked for, I can appreciate that because you've got, you know, on most teams, Jake Chickering is a top three defenseman, right? And on a lot of teams, he's a top pairing defenseman. 
and he had term. So I think we can all understand why, you know, he was holding out for the package. Here's where it gets dicey for me, though, fellas. The way that he overplayed the hand smells like the player asked for a trade. So he's like, all right, well, you want a trade, that's fine, but I'm going to get exactly what I need for this organization, or I'm not going to make that. That's not what happened here. That's not what happened. I mean, November 2021, Arizona goes to Jack, Jake Checker and, hey, guess what? We're rebuilding again. You want to be part of it? Let's go. Right. Or you want to be traded to a contender? We'll facilitate that. And Chikrin, you know, appreciably said, no, I'd rather be traded to a contender. So the, the Coyotes initiated the process. And, and, and that's not uh, the common Greg, narrative out there, Dregs. I don't think that's the common narrative out there that it was yeah. them that initiated it, right? Yeah, I think a lot of people just figure he asked for a trade. Yeah. And that's not accurate. He did not ask for a trade. Exactly. They went to yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, um, I, there's no question that uh, in the end, the price often, I mean, Ottawa a week earlier was out of it and then they end up back in because suddenly their prospects don't have to be in the deal. But the one thing I'll say to Bill Armstrong's defense, and he can't come out and talk about this because <laughs> for obvious reasons, but he had tremendous pressure from above him to not take money back in the chicken right. deal at mm-hmm. the end of the day, which really that's fair. First of all, it killed the Oilers deal in the end, but or part of that's part of the reason. But he could have made some different types of trades involving Jacob Trickern if he could have taken some contracts back. Let's be honest here. Yep. So so that played into Ottawa, the fact they can just take the deal and not even yeah. send a contract back. And don't forget, I mean, he you know, Arizona had a deal in place with Columbus at the draft in Montreal last last July. Last July, but I'm glad we're back on the right calendar. <laughs> but um, and that in the end, it's interesting. Just traffic wise, the pick that was in that that deal fell apart because Trickman basically, I think, didn't want to go to Columbus. But the pick they would have gotten that deal was twelfth overall from Columbus. It was Columbus's second pick in that first round, and um, and so twelve is what they would have had. And now they end up with the <laughs> Ottawa pick, which will be anywhere from six to. Well, I don't know. It depends, right? I mean, they make yeah. the playoffs. Could be juicy. But, yeah. Yeah. So my point is they may have ended up with the similar first-round pick, as it turns out, than Columbus would have given them last summer. Yeah. Back to just finish up the thought on Edmonton. I wonder how close a consultation do you think it looks like with Connor McDavid when management is looking at making a deal of that significance? And in particular, one involving trading Tyson Berry out to obviously McDavid's really tight with. Barry's a really important part of that locker room. And I'm not saying that this is special treatment for Connor McDavid because I think you consult leadership groups on moves that affect the chemistry and leadership in the room. But I don't know, Dregs, how, how close do you think that consultation yeah. is with McDavid? Yeah, it would have been pretty close. I mean, you know, Kenny basically has an open-door policy, and, and he likes to, you know, talk to Connor a fair bit, and Bob Nicholson likes to talk to Connor and Leon a fair bit. You know, did he... Did he run by the final tally? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine, though, that those two players, especially the leaders of the Oilers, wouldn't know that Tyson Berry was included in that. And, guys, you know, we all lived it, right? We lived it firsthand. That was 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of pure hell because the Oilers and, and some involved in this process didn't want to acknowledge the trade officially out of respect to Tyson Berry and out of respect to everything that was going on around that organization. So, you know, Connor wouldn't have sign off. I mean, no player does, but Connor's no different than Sidney Crosby, aside from the decorated resume, which he may get to one day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you do as a general manager, go to your leaders 
and say, here's what we're thinking. You know, just yeah. popular teammate Ryan, as you know, and it was a it was a tough one for those guys to have to deal with. Yeah, and you know better than me, Ryan, but obviously Tyson Berry really popular with those guys. Yeah. He was almost traded last summer. We talked about this, but yep. the Oilers had a bit of a dance on John Klingberg where uh, if they could have got Montreal to sign him and flip him, Tyson Berry goes to Montreal. And anyway, none of that happened, but there were certainly conversations about that last August. There you go. Well, uh, and, and quick quick aside here, just to wrap that one up too, uh, I had an exchange with Matt Duchesne soon after that deal happened with yep. the Brads, and he was like, oh boy. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, well, they're best friends dating back to Colorado, and yeah. the offensive connection between Barry and Duchesne well would known. be pretty obvious. Yeah, so he, sure. was, he was celebrating quietly. And by the way, I, I talked to someone with the Preds management. Tyson Barry is not just some guy they had to take to make the math work. Nashville is, is excited about having Tyson Barry because the Predators aren't going into a 10-year rebuild here. They want to be competitive as soon yeah. as possible, and yeah. you see Tyson Barry is part of that. Good early returns for the Oilers. Matthias Ekholm? For a guy that had to like pick his life up and move to a different country and play two games in three nights, he's been excellent in both of the Euler games. And the other guy that's been really good is Evan Bouchard, who's his new partner. And I just think that for Bouchard to have a veteran next to him now, like he did last year in Duncan Keith, part of the deal. That's part of the why they made that deal. Ekholm was a good fit for that reason. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the other Alberta team, the Calgary Flames. They do an odd deal where they swap brothers. That's a bit of an odd one uh, in Nick Ritchie and uh, Brett Ritchie swapping over. Stetcher comes in as well. Dryden Hunt. Uh, <laughs> this is some nibbling around the edges here, Dregs. Not a lot of activity out of Brad Trey Living. No, he's stuck, man. Uh, out of respect to Brad. <laughs> You know, it's, you can't be critical because what do you add to that group? You know, the heavy lifting was done in the offseason in filling the holes they had to fill. Hold on a sec. Yeah, oh. filling the holes they had to fill. I just had the cough shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, but based on where they're at in the standings, what was he going to do? I mean, there were conversations with Montreal and Joel Edmondson and, you know, I'm sure other pieces around the National Hockey League. But honestly, it's it's where the Flames are in their fight, which isn't much of a fight right now when you analyze, you know, how many last 10, 15, 20, maybe the season. <laughs> they just they, they can't grab hold of consistency. So I think Tree's hands were tied in doing something more significant here. I mean, we don't have enough time. I, I find the Calgary Flames one of the most fascinating situations in the NHL right now. Um you know, you got the GM on an expiring contract. You got the coach who just got signed to an extension. You got a team that's in no man's land in the standings, can't buy, but can't sell. And I know some people might look at it and say, well, St. Louis and Nashville started selling, and they're just a few points behind uh, Calgary. You can't sell when you just acquired Huberto and Uyghur and signed them to extensions. Like, this is an – you're still in your window now. You're, you're pot committed. And, in fact, this offseason has to be the adding more to it. Um, so – it's a terrible position to be in at the deadline. And, and yeah. Calgary did exactly what they should do, which is nothing. I mean, they, yeah. that, that, that was the right call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's frustrating, you know, but. Can I wrap two teams into one here? Because yeah, Calgary, Calgary, to me, different place, but somewhat similar to the future of the Winnipeg Jets here, right? Now, right. you know, Winnipeg is is marginally ahead of them, clearly in the standings in a wild card spot. For now. But, yeah, for now. But if, if you want to look 
at some compelling storylines. Look at those two teams in the West, those two Canadian teams in the offseason. You know, is Brad Trilliving coming back as general manager? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's any question Daryl Sutter will be back on the bench. We all know the relationship with ownership in Calgary, all of that. What is that roster going to look like? In Winnipeg, yeah, they added some, some interesting pieces. Um, but they've wrestled with injury all season long, and that's going to be problematic for them. But then what do they do with Pierre-Luc Dubois? Um, you know, there's always speculation around the future of Mark Shifley in Winnipeg. And trust me, fellas, when I tell you, if those two pieces are shifted out of Winnipeg, guess what the next conversation we're having is about? Connor Hellebuck. You know, like, I mean, holy smokes. This this could be an offseason of pure upheaval for the Winnipeg Jets. And, you know, it's uh, you don't have to have a pristine crystal ball to see something similar in Calgary. I saw them play last night here in Edmonton, and it's you know it's disjointed and yeah, and it, no it, it wasn't good. Like they've no. they've gone the wrong way fast here, Pierre. I I feel for the Jets because it's the dynamics are so much harder for that organization that they built something really good. A lot of players don't want to sign there. Like they, they, their margin for error is so different than a lot of teams. They're not the only one. I, I mean, you could argue that for a lot of Canadian teams. But as Dregs just said, I mean, this offseason, hey, let, let's let the rest of the the rest of the year play out first. As we always say, the, sure. the playoffs yeah. have a way of overriding any other narrative because it, it really forces the hand of, of management. But Oh, my goodness. It could be a domino there in Winnipeg uh, from Dubois on down for sure. It'd be interesting. That wraps Winnipeg and Calgary. By the way, I want to put a final thought on the Calgary Flames. Uh, an emotional Brad Tree living yesterday in his press conference, sending yeah, his best to Assistant General yeah. Manager Chris Snow and his wife Kelsey, their entire family. Um, really moving emotional stuff. And we also send our best to the Snow family. Continue to be inspiring in their fight. Of course, Chris. Um, just in a grind, battling hard against ALS, but continue yeah. to inspire people, guys, by being so public and letting people in on their struggles to raise awareness. So, you know what? Um, you know, we get so focused on what we're trying to do in breaking trades and analyze the deals on deadline day. And, you know, the, the adrenaline push there is so fleeting, right? With social media, I mean, you break a trade, you get 15 seconds of fame. That's it. And then somebody's coming in. So I don't know what time of day it was. You know, it was probably around midday here in in Ontario where Kelsey Snow tweeted the update that that Chris was back in hospital. And I got to tell you, that was a real jolt for me. Just a recognition of, hey, we're here. And Ryan, you touched on it right off the top of the podcast. That was, again, a slap in the face for me to go, hey, smarten up. Like, you're taking this day way too seriously. This is about entertainment. This is about making sure that, you know, our viewers are having a good time. And, and yeah, we're going to break some trades. But, you know, considering what's going on with the snows, that was a big wake-up call for me, and I needed it. I needed it at that point. Yeah. Pretty inspiring stuff. And I know, Pierre, it's it's also very close to your heart as well, and that's – Boy, we're, they're being so upfront with their journey and with their struggles in an effort to raise awareness, and I just really so appreciate maybe. and respect that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's move on to the uh, Montreal Canadiens. This might be a little bit of a short one. Uh, we got Montreal and Ottawa left here. Just Patrick Alvin, uh we saw what they did. They were active, you know, in and around the draft. They did, uh, you know, they made some additions back then, but really I'm looking at the list here and they're just outside of Garyanov and the, uh, the Donoff swap. 
Um, what do you think about the tactics employed by the Canadians, Pierre? Yeah, you, I think you said Patrick Alvey, my friend, but you meant oh, Ken sorry. Hughes. Oh, sorry. Yes, Ken Hughes. My um, apologies. Well, that's okay. We all make mistakes. Nice correction. Thank early. you. It's early in Alberta. Come yeah. on. Um, you know what? The deadline has to come to you, right? And it wasn't from a lack of trying, but, uh, you know, I'll, there are teams that were so curious to watch Joel Edmondson play uh, late Thursday night in L.A., because he hadn't played in six in five or six weeks, uh, and um, but let's be real, one game. I mean, did he get a number of calls on Joel Edmondson yesterday? Yes, and my sense of the nature of those calls was a lot of questions about Joel Edmondson's back. Um, so, listen, at the end of the day, this wasn't a must for the Montreal Canadiens to to have to trade him. They love him in their room. He's got another year in his deal. They can see what the market's like for him at the draft in Nashville. Or they can bring him back next year and redo all this again at the deadline next year. So lots of options there. They like the player. They were just going to trade him if there was a certain price met. And outside of that, I mean, there was, you know, uh, next no interest in Jonathan Drew. And then that's just a guy that uh, obviously has been in and out of the lineup. And, and it was great to see Drew in score, by the way, his first goal of the year. I mean, that meant a lot, mm-hmm. I think, to a lot of players, players on that team for him. But there just wasn't, you know, the deadline didn't come. Sean Monaghan injured. The deadline just didn't come to Kent Hughes. Right. And I, I, you know, Kent is such a smart guy with a tremendous background. You know, the success that he had as a player agent with, you know, Hall of Fame players, let's be honest. Um, I think if there was a, a, a misstep, if he could have a mulligan, he might go back to a comment that he made relatively early in the year. And this was just looking forward to the season and where the Montreal Canadiens are. And he acknowledged that he wants to, he, he'd like to have three first round picks in the draft while at the time he said it sean monahan is healthy and he's thinking that and playing great you know he's thinking hughes that is okay well monahan might fetch me a first at the deadline and just through a crazy string of injuries all the pieces that ken hughes would have preferred to have in play just just didn't have any market value so you know he's not done yet you know he's a crafty guy um, he's got a great mentor there in, in Jeff Gordon. So those guys, they know how to build winning teams. So I expect the Montreal Canadiens are going to make some noise in the offseason pretty early. And just to put a finishing point on Sean Monaghan, Sean Monaghan and, and his agent Pat Morris will have a say in this, but I think what the Habs will try and do is actually sign Monaghan to a one-year deal probably at the end of the Yeah, year. why not? So that they, you know, so that the asset, you know, you're, you're first of all, they like him. He's matching yeah. well with that group. But then... You can do this all over again, you know, next year. Been an up-and-down season for the Ottawa Senators, but here they sit the day after trade deadline, 66 points, chasing that second wild-card spot, currently owned by the New York Islanders, four points ahead, but the Sens have a bunch of games in hand. They're very much in the mix here, and Pierre Dorian drags late in the weeds, lying in the weeds waiting, and then pounced on on one of the bigger names on the market. And this was a hockey deal that improved his team, not just now, but for the next couple of seasons. I thought it was really uh, shrewd patience from Dorian. Yeah, you could say that. Uh, I wonder if he's going to have to get the horseshoe surgically removed. Um, because, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what the way it boiled down. And and look, more um, luck than skill here. You're saying is that well, that's what I'm hearing? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. I mean, look, you know, Dorian, and he acknowledged this, right? Mm-hmm. He he promised Claude Giroux, promised Claude Giroux when they yeah. signed him that he was going to bring in uh, a, a top pairing, top three defenseman. 
Well, that's in the off season. So look, um, senators are a good team. There's there's so much turmoil there with pending ownership change and and, and all of that. But it, you know, you watch their games now. Brady Kachuk is a beast out there, and oh, they've yeah. got the elements of a team that is going to be a really good hockey club for a long time. So I'm not being critical of Pierre. I hey look, I mean. Billy Armstrong wanted two first-round picks and either Ridley Gregg or the goaltender Matt Sogard. Nobody's making that deal. Right. I mean, that there was no stress for Pierre Dorian to turn that down. I mean, everybody would turn that deal down. So the market crumbles and Jake Chirkin falls into his lap. So to play devil's advocate here, which is why I started with a smart Alec comment on the horseshoe, um, <laughs> what if the Ottawa Senators can't quite claw their way back in? And they end up missing the playoffs by two, three points. A and point. Like a six. You know, yeah. yeah, but, but I mean, can you not build a case that if Dorian had fulfilled the promise in the offseason and started the year with yeah. a defensive core that was strong enough, maybe you're a playoff lock at this point. Maybe right. you're a playoff lock. Now, yeah. that's, that's harsh and that's critical in, in trying to look back, but – there are some who will do that because uh, he did fulfill the promise, but it took him a long time to do it. I mean, I'll give him credit that, you know, he told Bill Armstrong that he was out of it a week before, which might have been a bit of a play, right? I, I'm not mm-hmm. in this. You're asking for Ridley Gregg. You're asking for too many pieces. Go make your deal elsewhere. Bill Armstrong tried to make his deal elsewhere, as we covered with Edmonton. Uh, but... Um, so in that way, you know, was that a ruse? I mean, did Pierre Dorian play that craftily, or is it still more the fact that no one else could, uh, you know, no one else could make a deal without sending contracts back, right? Uh, except for Ottawa. Really. We need yeah. Bobby's cowbell. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> was there going to be another deal if Ottawa didn't get him? Like, was was bringing in a defenseman, <clears throat> and not that there was a ton left on the market, but was there going to be something else if it wasn't Chikrin? I think he would have had to. No, but I think he would have probably gone, you know, bargain shopping at at, at that point. I mean, look, you're looking at Eric Branstrom now, you know, being a healthy scratch, and, and, you know, they move out Nikita Zaitsev. I mean, unless they're bringing up Bernard Docker from from the American League, they they would have needed another defenseman. I just – I, I think it just changed so quickly and in, in such a good way for the Ottawa Senators when the Chikrin scenario started to unfold. Uh, obviously, the shopping was over. All right. That's a wrap on our cross-country segment brought to you by Liberty Smart Security. And I think that'll be a wrap on the podcast, guys. Thanks for uh, taking some time after a crazy busy day yesterday to run it all down. Uh, we'll let you guys grab the, the shovels and go start digging out of that uh, that tough snowfall you guys had last night. Hey, by the way, I'm a li- I, I, like I was a little disappointed. You know, the other TSN reporters cross country were like having fun and I had fun. You what know, eating chicken wings and all that stuff. I did fun uh, things on my hits. Did you? I didn't see any of them. Well, that's because you tune out when I start talking. That's this is the problem. You're you're sick and tired of Hit me. bowl meat wagon. <laughs> that's what that is. What did Bruce Boudreaux think of my performance yesterday, Dregs? Go ahead. Nah. He just recognized <laughs> that you you can talk. You talk a lot. Man, that guy Man, can talk. That guy can talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I host 
We didn't even talk about the tanking teams, though. Oh, do you want to? No, let's yeah. get going. I got the stuff today. Yeah. Drags, yeah. your performance on that keyboard, you had one shot in that entire video. That's how bad you were. It was like a five-minute song. You, you, two, you two clowns had one shot each. That's okay. all the airtime you could get. That's a bad scoop because James Duffy acknowledged after the fact they were shocked at how good my timing was. And I didn't even know the songs. No. That's bad information. Uh, buddy, I would hate to see you at a wedding on a dance floor. You're one of those guys that has painfully bad rhythm. I can just tell. <laughs> you know, you can just tell. You kind of do this anytime you have to dance. You're like, ooh, you turn into, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's gross. Never again. All right, boys, have a great Saturday. Uh, thanks, thanks kindly. All right, guys, thanks. All right, that'll wrap up the podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors, Cross Country Canada Supplies and Rentals, Liberty Smart Security, and Kuma Outdoor Gear as well. Have a great finish to your weekend, folks, and we will chat again next week. Cheers. That's timing, Dregs, with the music right there, buddy.